this was Aurora, and he had no idea what one did when it began to rain and there was no city to escape into. Run into the nearest establishment? Would refugees automatically be welcome? Then there was another brief turn, and Giscard said, Sir, we are in the parking lot of the Robotics Institute. We can now enter and visit the establishment that Dr. Vassilia maintains on the Institute grounds. Bailey nodded. The trip had taken something between fifteen and twenty minutes, as nearly as he could judge, earth time, and he was glad it was over. He said, rather breathlessly, I want to know something about Dr. Fastolf's daughter before I meet her. You did not know her, did you, Daniil? Daniil said, At the time I came into existence, Dr. Fastolf and his daughter had been separated for a considerable time. I have never met her. But as for you, Giscard, you and she knew each other well, is that not so? It is so, sir, said Giscard impassively. And were fond of each other? I believe, sir, said Giscard that it gave Dr. Fastolf's daughter pleasure to be with me. Did it give you pleasure to be with her? Giscard seemed to pick his words. It gives me a sensation that I think is what human beings mean by pleasure to be with any human being. But more so with Vasilia, I think. Am I right? Her pleasure at being with me, sir, said Giscard did seem to stimulate those positronic potentials that produce actions in me that are equivalent to those that pleasure produces in human beings, or so I was once told by Dr. Fastolf. Bailey said suddenly, Why did Vasilia leave her father? Giscard said nothing. Bailey said, with the sudden peremptoriness of an earthman addressing a robot, I asked you a question, boy. Giscard turned his head and stared at Bailey who, for a moment, thought the glow in the robot's eyes might be brightening into a blaze of resentment at the demeaning word. However, Giscard spoke mildly, and there was no readable expression in his eyes when he said, I would like to answer, sir, but in all matters concerning that separation, Miss Vassilia ordered me at that time to say nothing. But I'm ordering you to answer me, and I can order you very firmly indeed if I wish to. Giscard said, I am sorry. Miss Vassilia, even at that time, was skilled in robotics, and the orders she gave me were sufficiently powerful to remain, despite anything you are likely to say, sir. Bailey said, She must have been skilled in robotics, since Dr. Fastolf told me she reprogrammed you on occasion. It was not dangerous to do so, sir. Dr. Fastolf himself could always correct any errors. Did he have to? He did not, sir. What was the nature of the reprogramming? Minor matters, sir. Perhaps, but humor me. Just what was it she did? Giscard hesitated, and Bailey knew what that meant at once. The robot said, I fear that any questions concerning the reprogramming cannot be answered by me. You were forbidden? No, sir, but the reprogramming automatically wipes out what went before. If I am changed in any particular... It would seem to me that I have always been as changed, and I would have no memory of what I was before I was changed. Then how do you know the reprogramming was minor, since Dr. Fastolf never saw any need of correcting what Miss Facilia did, or so he once told me? I can only suppose the changes were minor. You might ask Miss Facilia, sir. I will, said Bailey. I fear, however, that she will not answer, sir. 
Bailey's heart sank. So far, he had questioned only Dr. Fastolf, Glodaya, and the two robots, all of whom had overriding reasons to cooperate. Now, for the first time, he would be facing an unfriendly subject. 37. Bailey stepped out of the airfoil, which was resting on a grassy plot, and felt a certain pleasure in feeling solidity beneath his feet. He looked around in surprise, for the structures were rather thickly spread, and to his right was a particularly large one, built plainly, rather like a huge right-angled block of metal and glass. Is that the Robotics Institute? he asked. Daniil said, This entire complex is the Institute, partner Elijah. You are seeing only a portion, and it is more thickly built up than is common on Aurora, because it is a self-contained political entity. It contains home establishments, laboratories, libraries, communal gymnasia, and so on. The large structure is the administrative center. This is so un-Auroran with all these buildings in view, at least judging from what I saw of Eos, that I should think there would be considerable disapproval. I believe there was, partner Elijah, but the head of the institute is friendly with the chairman, who has much influence, and there was a special dispensation, I understand, because of research necessities. Daniil looked about thoughtfully. It is indeed more compact than I had supposed. Than you had supposed? Have you never been here before, Daniil? No, partner Elijah. How about you, Giscard? No, sir, said Giscard. Bailey said, well, You found your way here without trouble, and you seem to know the place. We have been suitably informed, partner Elijah, said Daniil, since it was necessary that we come with you. Bailey nodded thoughtfully, then said, Why didn't Dr. Fastolf come with us? And decided once again that it made no sense to try to catch a robot off guard. Ask a question rapidly, or unexpectedly, and they simply waited until the question was absorbed and then answered. They were never caught off guard. Daniil said, As Dr. Fastolf said, he is not a member of the Institute, and feels it would be improper to visit uninvited. But why is he not a member? The reason for that I have never been told, partner Elijah. Bailey's eyes turned to Giscard, who said at once, Nor I, sir. Did not know? Were told not to know? Bailey shrugged. It did not matter which. Human beings could lie and robots be instructed. Of course, human beings could be browbeaten or maneuvered out of a lie if the questioner were skillful enough or brutal enough, and robots could be maneuvered out of instruction if the questioner were skillful enough or unscrupulous enough. But the skills were different, and Bailey had none at all with respect to robots. He said, Where would we be likely to find Dr. Vasilia Fastolf? Daniil said, This is her establishment immediately before us. You have been instructed then as to its location? That has been imprinted in our memory banks, partner Elijah. Well then, lead the way. The orange sun was well up in the sky now, and it was clearly nearing midday. As they approached Vasilia's establishment, they stepped into the shadow of the factory, and Bailey twitched a little as he felt the temperature drop immediately. 
His lips tightened at the thought of occupying and settling worlds without cities, where the temperature was uncontrolled and subject to unpredictable idiotic changes. And, he noted uneasily, the line of clouds at the horizon had advanced somewhat. It could also rain whenever it wished, with water cascading down. Earth. He longed for the cities. Giscard had walked into the establishment first, and Daniil held out his arm to prevent Bailey from following. Of course, Giscard was reconnoitering. So was Daniil, for that matter. His eyes traversed the landscape with an intentness no human being could have duplicated. Bailey was certain that those robotic eyes missed nothing. He wondered why robots were not equipped with four eyes equally distributed about the perimeter of the head, or an optic strip totally circumnavigating it. Daniil could not be expected to, of course, since he had to be human in appearance, but why not Giscard? Or did that introduce complications of vision that the positronic pathways could not handle? For a moment, Bailey had a faint vision of the complexities that burdened the life of a roboticist. Giscard reappeared in the doorway and nodded. Daniil's arm exerted a respectful pressure and Bailey moved forward. The door stood ajar. There was no lock on Vasilius' establishment, but there had also been none, Bailey suddenly remembered, on those of Gladaya and of Dr. Fastolf. A sparse population and separation helped ensure privacy, and, no doubt, the custom of non-interference helped, too. And, come to think of it, the ubiquitous robot guards were more efficient than any lock could be. The pressure of Daniil's hand on Bailey's upper arm brought the latter to a halt. Giscard, ahead of them, was speaking in a low voice to two robots, who were themselves rather Giscard-like. A sudden coldness struck the pit of Bailey's stomach. What if some rapid maneuver substituted another robot for Giscard? Would he be able to recognize the substitution? Tell two such robots apart. Would he be left with a robot without special instructions to guard him, one who might innocently lead him into danger and then react with insufficient quickness when protection was necessary? Controlling his voice, he said calmly to Daniil, Remarkable the similarity in those robots, Daniil. Can you tell them apart? Certainly, partner Elijah. Their clothing designs are different, and their code numbers are different as well. Oh, they don't look different to me. You are not accustomed to notice that sort of detail. Bailey stared again. What code numbers? They are easily visible, partner Elijah, when you know where to look and when your eyes are sensitive farther into the infrared than human eyes are. Well, then I would be in trouble if I had to do the identifying, wouldn't I? Not at all, partner Elijah. You had but to ask a robot for its full name and serial number. It would tell you even if instructed to give me a false one? Why should any robot be so instructed? Bailey decided not to explain. Giscard was, in any case, returning. He said to Bailey, Sir, you will be received. Come this way, please. The two robots of the establishment led. Behind them came Bailey and Daniil, the latter retaining his grip protectively. Following in the rear was Giscard. The two robots stopped before a double door which opened apparently automatically in both directions. 
The room within was suffused with a dim, grayish light, daylight diffusing through thick drapery. Bailey could make out, not very clearly, a small human figure in the room, half-seated on a tall stool, with one elbow resting on a table that ran the length of the wall. Bailey and Daniil entered, Giscard coming up behind them. The door closed, leaving the room dimmer than ever. A female voice said sharply, Come no closer, stay where you are. And the room burst into full daylight. 38. Bailey blinked and looked upward. The ceiling was glassed, and through it, the sun could be seen. The sun seemed oddly dim, however, and could be looked at, even though that did not seem to affect the quality of the light within. Presumably the glass, or whatever the transparent substance was, diffused the light without absorbing it. He looked down at the woman, who still maintained her pose at the stool, and said, Dr. Vasilia Fastolf? Dr. Vasilia Eliana, if you want a full name. I do not borrow the names of others. You may call me Dr. Vasilia. It is the name by which I am commonly known at the Institute. Her voice, which had been rather harsh, softened. And how are you, my old friend Giscard? Giscard said, in tones oddly removed from his usual one, I greet you. He paused and then said, I greet you, little miss. Vasilia smiled. And this, I suppose, is the humaniform robot of whom I have heard, Daniil Oliva. Yes, Dr. Vasilia, said Daniil briskly. And finally we have... The Earthman. Elijah Bailey, Doctor, said Bailey stiffly. Yes, I am aware that Earthmen have names and that Elijah Bailey is yours, she said coolly. Hm, you don't look one blasted thing like the actor who played you in the Hyperwave show. I am aware of that, Doctor. The one who played Daniil was rather a good likeness, however, but I suppose we are not here to discuss the show. We are not. I gather we are here, Earthman, to talk about whatever it is you want to say about Centyrix Gramianus and get it over with, right? Not entirely, said Bailey. That is not the primary reason for my coming, though I imagine we will get to it. Indeed. Are you under the impression that we are here to engage in a long and complicated discussion on whatever topic you choose to deal with? I think, Dr. Vasilia, you would be well advised to allow me to manage this interview as I wish. Is that a threat? No. Well, I have never met an Earthman, and it might be interesting to see how closely you resemble the actor who played your role, that is, in ways other than appearance. Are you really the masterful person you seem to be in the show? The show, said Bailey with clear distaste, was overdramatic and exaggerated my personality in every direction. I would rather you accept me as I am and judge me entirely from how I appear to you right now. Vasilia laughed. At least you don't seem overawed by me. That's a point in your favor. Or do you think this Gramianus thing you've got in mind puts you in a position to order me about? I am not here to do anything but uncover the truth in the matter of the dead humaniform robot, Jander Panel. Dead? Was he ever alive, then? I use one syllable in preference to phrases such as rendered inoperative. Does saying dead confuse you? Vasilia said, You fence well. Debrett, bring the Earthman a chair. He will grow weary standing if this is to be a long conversation. Then get into your niche. 
And you may choose one too, Daniil. Giscard, come stand by me. Bailey sat down. Thank you, Deborah. Dr. Facilia, I have no authority to question you. I have no legal means of forcing you to answer my questions. However, the death of Jander Pinnell has put your father in a position of some... It has put whom in a position? Your father, Earthman. I sometimes refer to a certain individual as my father, but no one else does. Please use a proper name. Dr. Han Fastov. He is your father, isn't he? As a matter of record? Vasilya said, You are using a biological term. I share genes with him in a manner characteristic of what on earth would be considered a father-daughter relationship. This is a matter of indifference on Aurora, except in medical and genetic matters. I can conceive of my suffering from certain metabolic states in which it would be appropriate to consider the physiology and biochemistry of those with whom I share genes, parents, siblings, children, and so on. Otherwise, these relationships are not generally referred to in polite Auroran society. I explain this to you because you are an earth man. If I have offended against custom, said Bailey, it is through ignorance, and I apologize. May I refer to the gentleman under discussion by name? Certainly. In that case, the death of Jander Pinnell has put Dr. Hanfastolf into a position of some difficulty, and I would assume that you would be concerned enough to desire to help him. You assume that, do you? Why? He is your... He brought you up. He cared for you. You had a profound affection for each other. He still feels a profound affection for you. Did he tell you that? It was obvious from the details of our conversations, even from the fact that he has taken an interest in the Solarian woman, Gladia Delmar, because of her resemblance to you. Did he tell you that? He did. But even if he hadn't, the resemblance is obvious. Nevertheless, Earthman, I owe Dr. Fastolf nothing. Your assumptions can be dismissed. Bailey cleared his throat. Aside from any personal feelings you might or might not have, there is the matter of the future of the galaxy. Dr. Fastolf wishes new worlds to be explored and settled by human beings. If the political repercussions of Jander's death lead to the exploration and settlement of the new worlds by robots, Dr. Fastolf believes that this will be catastrophic for Aurora and humanity. Surely you would not be a party to such a catastrophe. Vasilia said indifferently, watching him closely. Surely not, if I agreed with Dr. Fastolf. I do not. I see no harm in having humaniform robots doing the work. I am here at the Institute, in fact, to make that possible. I am a globalist. Since Dr. Fastolf is a humanist, he is my political enemy. Her answers were clipped and direct, no longer than they had to be. Each time there followed a definite silence, as though she were waiting, with interest, for the next question. Bailey had the impression that she was curious about him, amused by him, making wagers with herself as to what the next question might be, determined to give him just the minimum information necessary to force another question. He said, Have you long been a member of this institute? Since its formation. Are there many members? I should judge about a third of Aurora's roboticists are members, though only about half of these actually live and work on the Institute grounds. Do other members of the Institute share your views on the robotic exploration of other worlds? 
Do they oppose Dr. Fastolf's views, one and all? I suspect that most of them are globalists, but I don't know that we have taken a vote on the matter or even discussed it formally. You had better ask them all individually. Is Dr. Fastolf a member of the Institute? No. Bailey waited a bit, but she said nothing beyond the negative. He said, Isn't that surprising? I should think he, of all people, would be a member. As it happens, we don't want him. What is perhaps less important, he doesn't want us. Isn't that even more surprising? I don't think so. And then, as though goaded into saying something more by an irritation within herself, she said, He lives in the city of Eos. I suppose you know the significance of the name Earthman. Bailey nodded and said, Eos is the ancient Greek goddess of the dawn, as Aurora is the ancient Roman goddess of the dawn. Exactly. Dr. Han Fastolf lives in the city of the dawn on the world of the dawn, but he is not himself a believer in the dawn. He does not understand the necessary method of expansion through the galaxy, of converting the spacer dawn into broad galactic day. The robotic exploration of the galaxy is the only practical way to carry the task through, and he won't accept it or us. Bailey said slowly, Why is it the only practical method? Aurora and the other spacer worlds were not explored and settled by robots, but by human beings. Correction. By Earth people. It was a wasteful and inefficient procedure, and there are now no Earth people that we will allow to serve as further settlers. We have become spacers, long-lived and healthy, and we have robots who are infinitely more versatile and flexible than those available to the human beings who originally settled our worlds. Times and matters are wholly different, and today only robotic exploration is feasible. Let us suppose you are right and Dr. Fastolf is wrong. Even so, he has a logical view. Why won't he and the Institute accept each other? Simply because they disagree on this point? No, this disagreement is comparatively minor. There is a more fundamental conflict. Again Bailey paused and again she added nothing to her remark. He did not feel it safe to display irritation, so he said quietly, almost tentatively, What is the more fundamental conflict? The amusement in Vasilia's voice came nearer the surface. It softened the lines of her face somewhat, and for a moment she looked more like Glodaya. You couldn't guess, unless it were explained to you, I think precisely why I am asking, Dr. Vasilia. Well then, Earthman, I have been told that Earth people are short-lived. I have not been misled in that, have I? Bailey shrugged. Some of us live to be a hundred years old, Earth time. He thought a bit. Perhaps a hundred and thirty or so metric years. And how old are you? Forty-five standard, sixty metric. I am sixty-six metric, I expect to live three metric centuries more, at least, if I am careful. Bailey spread his hands wide. I congratulate you. There are disadvantages. I was told this morning that in three or four centuries, many, many losses have a chance to accumulate. I'm afraid so, said Vasilia. And many, many gains have a chance to accumulate as well. On the whole, it balances. What, then, are the disadvantages? You are not a scientist, of course. I am a plainclothesman, a policeman, if you like. 
But perhaps you know scientists on your world. I've met some, said Bailey cautiously. You know how they work. We are told that on Earth they cooperate out of necessity. They have at most half a century of active labor in the course of their short lives, less than seven metric decades. Not much can be done in that time. Some of our scientists had accomplished quite a deal in considerably less time. Because they have taken advantage of the findings others have made before them and profit from the use they can make of contemporary findings by others, isn't that so? Of course. We have a scientific community to which all contribute across the expanse of space and of time. Exactly. It won't work otherwise. Each scientist, aware of the unlikelihood of accomplishing much entirely by himself, is forced into the community, cannot help becoming part of the clearinghouse. Progress thus becomes enormously greater than it would be if this did not exist. Is not this the case on Aurora and the other spacer worlds, too? asked Bailey. In theory, it is. In practice, not so much. The pressures in a long-lived society are less. Scientists here have three or three and a half centuries to devote to a problem, so that the thought arises that significant progress may be made in that time by a solitary worker. It becomes possible to feel a kind of intellectual greed, to want to accomplish something on your own, to assume a property right to a particular facet of progress, to be willing to see the general advance slowed rather than give up what you conceive to be yours alone. And the general advance is slowed on spacer worlds as a result, to the point where it is difficult to outpace the work done on Earth, despite our enormous advantages. I assume you wouldn't say this if I were not to take it that Dr. Han Fastolf behaves in this manner. He certainly does. It is his theoretical analysis of the positronic brain that has made the humaniform robot possible. He has used it to construct, with the help of the late Dr. Sarton, your robot friend Daniil, but he has not published the important details of his theory, nor does he make it available to anyone else. In this way, he, and he alone, holds a stranglehold on the production of humaniform robots. Bailey furrowed his brow and the Robotics Institute is dedicated to cooperation among scientists? Exactly. This institute is made up of over a hundred top-notch roboticists of different ages, advancements, and skills, and we hope to establish branches on other worlds and make it an interstellar association. All of us are dedicated to communicating our separate discoveries or speculations to the common fund, doing voluntarily for the general good what you earth people do perforce because you live such short lives. This, however, Dr. Han Fastolf will not do. I'm sure you think of Dr. Han Fastolf as a nobly idealistic Auroran patriot, but he will not put his intellectual property, as he thinks of it, into the common fund, and therefore he does not want us. And because he assumes a personal property right upon scientific discoveries, we do not want him. You no longer find the mutual distaste a mystery, I take it. Bailey nodded his head, then said, You think this will work, this voluntary giving up of personal glory? It must, said Vasilia grimly. And has the Institute, through community endeavor, duplicated Dr. Fastolf's individual work and rediscovered the theory of the humaniform positronic brain? We will, in time. It is inevitable. 
and you are making no attempt to shorten the time it will take by persuading Dr. Fastolf to yield the secret. I think we are on the way to persuading him. Through the working of the gender scandal. I don't think you really have to ask that question. Well, have I told you what you wanted to know, Earthman? Bailey said. You've told me some things I didn't know. Then it is time for you to tell me about Gramianus. Why have you brought up the name of this barber in connection with me? Barber? He considers himself a hairstylist, among other things. But he is a barber, plain and simple. Tell me about him, or let us consider this interview at an end. Bailey felt weary. It seemed clear to him that Vasilia had enjoyed the fencing. She had given him enough to whet his appetite, and now he would be forced to buy additional material with information of his own. But he had none, or at least he had only guesses. And if any of them were wrong, vitally wrong, he was through. He therefore fenced on his own. You understand, Dr. Vasilia, that you can't get away with pretending that it is farcical to suppose there is a connection between Grimianus and yourself. Why not, when it is farcical? Oh, no. If it were farcical, you would have laughed in my face and shut off trimensional contact. The mere fact that you were willing to abandon your earlier stand and receive me, the mere fact that you have been talking to me at length and telling me a great many things, is a clear admission that you feel that I just possibly might have my knife at your jugular. Vasilia's jaw muscles tightened, and she said in a low and angry voice, See here, little earth man, my position is vulnerable, and you probably know it. I am the daughter of Dr. Fastolf, and there are some here at the Institute who are foolish enough, or knavish enough, to mistrust me, therefore. I don't know what kind of story you may have heard or made up, but that it's more or less farcical is certain. Nevertheless, no matter how farcical, it might be used effectively against me. So I am willing to trade for it. I have told you some things, and I might tell you more, but only if you now tell me what you have in your hand and convince me you are telling me the truth. So tell me now. If you try to play games with me, I will be in no worse position than at present if I kick you out, and I will at least get pleasure out of that. And I will use what leverage I have with the chairman to get him to cancel his decision to let you come here and have you sent right back to earth. There is considerable pressure on him now to do this, and you won't want the addition of mine. So talk now. 39. Bailey's impulse was to lead up to the crucial point, feeling his way to see if he were right. That, he felt, would not work. She would see what he was doing. She was no fool and would stop him. He was on the track of something he knew, and he didn't want to spoil it. What she said about her vulnerable position as the result of her relationship to her father might well be true, but she still would not have been frightened into seeing him if she hadn't suspected that some notion he had was not completely farcical. He had to come out with something, then, with something important that would establish at once some sort of domination over her. Therefore, the gamble. He said, Centurix Grimianus offered himself to you and before Vasilia could react, he raised the ante by saying, with an added touch of harshness, and not once, but many times. 
Vasilia clasped her hands over one knee, then pulled herself up and seated herself on the stool, as though to make herself more comfortable. She looked at Giscard, who stood motionless and expressionless at her side. Then she looked at Bailey and said, Well, the idiot offers himself to everyone he sees, regardless of age and sex. I would be unusual if he paid me no attention. Bailey made the gesture of brushing that to one side. She had not laughed. She had not brought the interview to an end. She had not even put on a display of fury. She was waiting to see what he would build out of the statement, so he did have something by the tail. He said, That is exaggeration, Dr. Vasilia. No one, however undiscriminating, would fail to make choices. And in the case of this Gramionis, you were selected, and despite your refusal to accept him, he continued to offer himself, quite out of keeping with a roaring custom. Vasilia said, I am glad you realize I refused him. There are some who feel that, as a matter of courtesy, any offer, or almost any offer, should be accepted, but that is not my opinion. I see no reason why I have to subject myself to some uninteresting event that will merely waste my time. Do you find something objectionable in that earth man? I have no opinion to offer, either favorable or unfavorable, in connection with Aurora and Custom. She was still waiting, listening to him. What was she waiting for? Would it be for what he wanted to say, but yet wasn't sure he dared to? She said, with an effort at lightness, Do you have anything at all to offer, or are we through? Not through, said Bailey, who was now forced to take another gamble. You recognized this non-aurora and perseverance in Gramionis, and it occurred to you that you could make use of it. Really? How mad! What possible use could I make of it? Since he was clearly attracted to you very strongly, it would not be difficult to arrange to have him attracted by another who resembled you very closely. You urged him to do so, perhaps promising to accept him if the other did not. Who is this poor woman who resembles me closely? You do not know? Come now, that is naive, Dr. Vasilia. I am talking of the Solarian woman Gladia, whom I already have said has come under the protection of Dr. Fastolf precisely because she does resemble you. You expressed no surprise when I referred to this at the beginning of our talk. It is too late to pretend ignorance now. Vasilia looked at him sharply. And from his interest in her, you deduced that he must first have been interested in me— it was this wild guess with which you approached me? Not entirely a wild guess. There are other substantiating factors. Do you deny all this? She brushed thoughtfully at the long desk beside her, and Bailey wondered what details were carried by the long sheets of paper on it. He could make out, from a distance, complexities of patterns that he knew would be totally meaningless to him, no matter how carefully and thoroughly he studied them. Vasilia said, I grow weary. You have told me that Grimianus was interested first in me and then in my look-alike, the Solarian, and now you want me to deny it. Why should I take the trouble to deny it? Of what importance is it? Even if it were true, how could this damage me in any way? You are saying that I was annoyed by attentions I didn't want and that I ingeniously deflected them. Well, Bailey said, it is not so much what you did as why. You knew that Grimianus was the type of person who would be persistent. He had offered himself to you over and over, and he would offer himself to Glodaya over and over. 
if she would refuse him. She was a Salarian, having trouble with sex, and was refusing everyone, something I dare say you knew, since I imagine that for all your estrangement from your fa— from Dr. Fastolf, you have enough feeling to keep an eye on your replacement. Well, then, good for her. If she refused Gramianus, she showed good taste. You knew there was no if about it. You knew she would. Still, what of it? Repeated offers to her would mean that Gramianus would be in Glodia's establishment frequently, that he would cling to her. One last time. Well and in Glodaya's establishment was a very unusual object, one of the two humaniform robots in existence, Jander Pennell. Vasilia hesitated. Then, what are you driving at? I think it struck you that if somehow the humaniform robot were killed under circumstances that would implicate Dr. Fastolf, that could be used as a weapon to force the secret of the humaniform positronic brain out of him, Gramianus, annoyed over Glodaya's persistent refusal to accept him and given the opportunity by his constant presence at Glodaya's establishment, could be induced to seek a fearful revenge by killing the robot. Vasilia blinked rapidly. That poor barber might have twenty such motives and twenty such opportunities, and it wouldn't matter. He wouldn't know how to order a robot to shake hands with any efficiency. How would he manage to come within a light year of imposing mental freeze-out on a robot. Which now, said Bailey softly, finally brings us to the point, a point I think you have been anticipating, for you have somehow restrained yourself from throwing me out because you had to make sure whether I had this point in mind or not. What I'm saying is that Graminus did the job, with the help of this robotics institute, working through you. Chapter 10 Again, Vasilia 40. It was as though a hyperwave drama had come to a halt in a holographic still. None of the robots moved, of course, but neither did Bailey and neither did Dr. Vasilia Aliana. Long seconds, abnormally long ones, passed before Vasilia let out her breath and very slowly rose to her feet. Her face had tightened itself into a humorless smile, and her voice was low. You are saying, Earthman, that I am an accessory in the destruction of the humaniform robot. Bailey said, Something of the sort had occurred to me, Doctor. Thank you for the thought. The interview is over, and you will leave. She pointed to the door. Bailey said, I'm afraid I do not wish to. I don't consult your wishes, Earthman. You must, for how can you make me leave against my wishes? I have robots who, at my request, will put you out politely but firmly and without hurting anything but your self-esteem, if you have any. You have but one robot here. I have two that will not allow that to happen. I have twenty on instant call, Bailey said. Dr. Vasilia, please understand, you were surprised at seeing Daniil. I suspect that even though you work at the Robotics Institute, where humaniform robots are the first order of business, you have never actually seen a completed and functioning one. Your robots, therefore, haven't seen one either. Now look at Daniil. He looks human. He looks more human than any robot who has ever existed except for the dead Jander. 
To your robots, Daniil will surely look human. He will know how to present an order in such a way that they will obey him in preference, perhaps, to you. Vasilia said, I can, if necessary, summon twenty human beings from within the Institute who will put you out, perhaps with a little damage, and your robots, even Daniil, will not be able to interfere effectively. How do you intend to call them, since my robots are not going to allow you to move? They have extraordinarily quick reflexes. Vasilia showed her teeth in something that could not be called a smile. I cannot speak for Daniil, but I've known Giscard for most of my life. I don't think he will do anything to keep me from summoning help, and I imagine he will keep Daniil from interfering, too. Bailey tried to keep his voice from trembling as he skated on ever thinner ice, and knew it. He said, Before you do anything, perhaps you might ask Giscard what he will do if you and I give conflicting orders. Giscard? said Vasilia with supreme confidence. Giscard's eyes turned full on Vasilia, and he said with an odd timbre to his voice, Little miss, I am compelled to protect Mr. Bailey. He takes precedence. Indeed. By whose order? By this earthman's? This stranger's? Giscard said, By Dr. Han Fastolf's order. Vasilia's eyes flashed and she slowly sat down on the stool again. Her hands, resting in her lap, trembled, and she said through lips that scarcely moved, He's even taken you away. If that is not enough, Dr. Facilia, said Daniil, speaking suddenly of his own accord, I, too, would place partner Elijah's welfare above yours. Vasilia looked at Daniil with bitter curiosity. Partner Elijah, is that what you call him? Yes, Dr. Vasilia. My choice in this matter, the Earthman over you, arises not only out of Dr. Fastolf's instructions, but because the Earthman and I are partners in this investigation, and because... Daniil paused as though puzzled by what he was about to say, and then said it anyway. We are friends. Vasilia said, Friends? an Earthman and a humaniform robot. Well, there's a match. Neither quite human, Bailey said sharply, nevertheless bound by friendship. Do not, for your own sake, test the force of our... Now it was he who paused and, as though to his own surprise, completed the sentence impossibly. Love. Vasilia turned to Bailey. What do you want? Information. I've been called to Aurora, this world of the dawn, to straighten out an event that does not seem to have an easy explanation, one in which Dr. Fastolf stands falsely accused, with the possibility, therefore, of terrible consequences for your world and mine. Daniil and Giscard understand this situation well and know that nothing but the first law at its fullest and most immediate can take precedence over my efforts to solve the mystery. Since they have heard what I have said and know that you might possibly be an accessory to the deed, they understand that they must not allow this interview to end. Therefore, I say again, don't risk the actions they may be forced to take if you refuse to answer my questions. I have accused you of being an accessory in the murder of Jander Pinnell, 
Do you deny that accusation or not? You must answer. Vasilia said bitterly, I will answer. Never fear. Murder? A robot is put out of commission, and that's murder? Well, I do deny it, murder or whatever. I deny it with all possible force. I have not given Graminus information on robotics for the purpose of allowing him to put an end to gender. I don't know enough to do so, and I suspect that no one at the Institute knows enough. Bailey said, I can't say whether you know enough to have helped commit the crime or whether anyone at the Institute knows enough. We can, however, discuss motive. First, you might have a feeling of tenderness for this Graminus. However much you might reject his offers, however contemptible you might find him as a possible lover, would it be so strange that you would feel flattered by his persistence, sufficiently so to be willing to help him if he turned to you prayerfully and without any sexual demands with which to annoy you? You mean he may have come to me and said, Vasilia, dear, I want to put a robot out of commission. Please tell me how to do it, and I will be terribly grateful to you. And I would say, why, certainly, dear, I would just love to help you commit a crime. <laughs> Preposterous. No one except an earth man who knows nothing of Aurora and ways could believe anything like this could happen. It would take a particularly stupid earth man, too. Perhaps. But all possibilities must be considered. For instance, as a second possibility, might you yourself not be jealous over the fact that Graminus has switched his affections so that you might help him not out of abstract tenderness, but out of a very concrete desire to win him back? Jealous! That is an earthly emotion. If I do not wish Graminus for myself, how can I possibly care whether he offers himself to another woman and she accepts, or, for that matter, if another woman offers herself to him and he accepts? I have been told before that sexual jealousy is unknown on Aurora, and I am willing to admit that is true in theory, but such theories rarely hold up in practice. There are surely some exceptions. What's more, jealousy is all too often an irrational emotion and not to be dismissed by mere logic. Still, let us leave that for the moment. As a third possibility, you might be jealous of Gladiah and wish to do her harm, even if you don't care the least bit for Graminus yourself. Jealous of Gladiah. I have never even seen her except once on the hyperwave when she arrived in Aurora. The fact that people have commented on her resemblance to me every once in a long while hasn't bothered me. Does it perhaps bother you that she is Dr. Fastolf's ward, his favorite, almost the daughter that you were once? She has replaced you. She is welcome to that. I could not care less, even if they were lovers. Vasilia stared at Bailey with growing fury, and beads of perspiration appeared at her hairline. She said, There is no need to discuss this. You have asked me to deny the allegation that I was accessory to what you call murder, and I have denied it. I have said I lacked the ability, and I lacked the motive. You are welcome to present your case to all Aurora. Present your foolish attempts at supplying me with a motive. Maintain, if you wish, that I have the ability to do so. You will get nowhere, absolutely nowhere. And even while she trembled with anger, it seemed to Bailey that there was conviction in her voice. She did not fear the accusation. She had agreed to see him, so he was on the track of something that she feared, perhaps feared desperately. But she did not fear this. Where, then, 
had he gone wrong. 41. Bailey said, troubled, casting about for some way out, Suppose I accept your statement, Dr. Vassilia. Suppose I agree that my suspicion that you might have been an accessory in this roboticide was wrong. Even that would not mean that it is impossible for you to help me. Why should I help you? Bailey said, Out of human decency. Dr. Hanfastoff assures us he did not do it, that he is not a robot killer, that he did not put this particular robot, Jander, out of operation. You've known Dr. Fastoff better than anyone ever has, one would suppose. You spent years in an intimate relationship with him as a beloved child and growing daughter. You saw him at times and under conditions that no one else saw him. Whatever your present feelings toward him might be, the past is not changed by them. Knowing him as you do, you must be able to bear witness that his character is such that he could not harm a robot, certainly not a robot that is one of his supreme achievements. Would you be willing to bear such witness openly? To all the worlds, it would help a great deal. Vasilia's face seemed to harden. Understand me, she said, pronouncing the words distinctly. I will not be involved. You must be involved. Why? Do you owe nothing to your father? He is your father. Whether the word means anything to you or not, there is a biological connection. And besides that, father or not, he took care of you, nurtured and brought you up for years. You owe him something for that. Vasilia trembled. It was a visible shaking, and her teeth were chattering. She tried to speak, failed, took a deep breath, another, then tried again. She said, Kiskart, do you hear all that is going on? Giscard bowed his head. Yes, little miss. And you, the humaniform, Daniil. Yes, Dr. Vassilia. You hear all this, too? Yes, Dr. Vassilia. You both understand the Earthman insists that I bear evidence on Dr. Fastolf's character. Both nodded. Then I will speak, against my will and in anger. It is because I have felt that I did owe this father of mine some minimum consideration as my gene-bearer and, after a fashion, my upbringer, that I have not borne witness. But now I will. Earthman, listen to me. Dr. Han Fastolf, some of whose genes I share, did not take care of me, 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 as a separate, distinct human being. I was to him nothing more than an experiment, an observational phenomenon, Bailey shook his head. That is not what I was asking, she drove furiously over him. You insisted that I speak, and I will speak, and it will answer you. One thing interests Dr. Han Fastolf. One thing, one thing only. That is the functioning of the human brain. He wishes to reduce it to equations, to a wiring diagram, to a solved maze— and thus found a mathematical science of human behavior which will allow him to predict the human future. He calls the science psychohistory. I can't believe that you have talked to him for as little as an hour without his mentioning it. It is the monomania that drives him. Vasilia searched Bailey's face and cried out in a fierce joy. I can tell. He has talked to you about it then he must have told you that he is interested in robots only insofar as they can bring him to the human brain. 
He is interested in humaniform robots only insofar as they can bring him still closer to the human brain. Yes, he's told you that, too. The basic theory that made humaniform robots possible arose, I am quite certain, out of his attempt to understand the human brain, and he hugs the theory to himself and will allow no one else to see it, because he wants to solve the problem of the human brain totally by himself in the two centuries or so he has left. Everything is subordinate to that, and that most certainly included me. Bailey, trying to breast his way against the flood of fury, said in a low voice, In what way did it include you, Dr. Vassilia? When I was born, I should have been placed with others of my kind, with professionals who knew how to care for infants. I should not have been kept by myself in the charge of an amateur, father or not, scientist or not. Dr. Fastolf should not have been allowed to subject a child to such an environment, and would not, if he had been anyone else but Han Fastolf. He used all his prestige to bring it about, called in every debt he had, persuaded every key person he could until he had control of me. He loved you, muttered Bailey. Loved me? Any other infant would have done as well, but no other infant was available. What he wanted was a growing child in his presence, a developing brain. He wanted to make a careful study of the method of its development, the fashion of its growth. He wanted a human brain in simple form, growing complex, so that he could study it in detail. For that purpose, he subjected me to an abnormal environment and to subtle experimentation with no consideration for me as a human being at all. I can't believe that. Even if he were interested in you as an experimental object, he could still care for you as a human being. No. You speak as an Earthman. Perhaps on Earth there is some sort of regard for biological connections. Here there is not. I was an experimental object to him. Period. Even if that were so to start with, Dr. Fastolf couldn't help but learn to love you, a helpless object entrusted to his care. Even if there were no biological connection at all, even if you were an animal, let us say, he would have learned to love you. Oh, would he now? She said bitterly. You don't know the force of indifference in a man like Dr. Fastolf. If it would have advanced his knowledge to snuff out my life, he would have done so without hesitation. That is ridiculous, Dr. Vassilia. His treatment of you is so kind and considerate that it evoked love from you. I know that. You... you offered yourself to him. He told you that, did he? <laughs> yes, he would. Not for a moment, even today, would he stop to question whether such a revelation might not embarrass me. Yes, I offered myself to him, and why not? He was the only human being I really knew. He was superficially gentle to me, and I didn't understand his true purposes. He was a natural target for me. Then, too, he saw to it that I was introduced to sexual stimulation under controlled conditions, the controls he set up. It was inevitable that eventually I would turn to him. I had to, for there was no one else, and he refused. And you hated him for that? No. Not at first not for years. Even though my sexual development was stunted and distorted, with effects I feel to this day, I did not blame him. I did not know enough. 
I found excuses for him. He was busy, he had others, he needed older women. You would be astonished at the ingenuity with which I uncovered reasons for his refusal. It was only years later that I became aware that something was wrong, and I managed to bring it out openly, face to face. Why did you refuse me? I asked. Obliging me might have put me on the right track, solved everything. She paused, swallowing, and for a moment covered her eyes. Bailey waited, frozen with embarrassment. The robots were expressionless, incapable, for all Bailey knew, of experiencing any balance or imbalance of the positronic pathways that would produce a sensation in any way analogous to human embarrassment. She said, calmer. He avoided the question for as long as he could, but I faced him with it over and over. Why did you refuse me? Why did you refuse me? He had no hesitation in engaging in sex. I knew of several occasions. I remember wondering if he simply preferred men. Where children are not involved, personal preference in such things is not of any importance, and some men can find women distasteful, or, for that matter, vice versa. It was not so with this man you call my father, however. He enjoyed women, sometimes young women, as young as I was when I first offered myself. Why did you refuse me? He finally answered me, and you are welcome to guess what that answer was. She paused and waited sardonically. Bailey stirred uneasily and said in a mumble, He didn't want to make love to his daughter. Oh, don't be a fool. What difference does that make? Considering that hardly any man on Aurora knows who his daughter is, any man making love to any woman a few decades younger might be... But never mind, it's self-evident. What he answered, and oh, how I remember the words, was, you great fool. If I involved myself with you in that manner, how could I maintain my objectivity, and of what use would my continuing study of you be? By that time, you see, I knew of his interest in the human brain. I was even following in his footsteps and becoming a roboticist in my own right. I worked with Giscard in this direction and experimented with his programming. I did it very well, too, didn't I, Giscard? Giscard said, So you did, little miss. But I could see that this man, whom you call my father, did not view me as a human being. He was willing to see me distorted for life rather than risk his objectivity. His observations meant more to him than my normality. From that time on, I knew what I was and what he was, and I left him. The silence hung heavy in the air. Bailey's head was throbbing slightly. He wanted to ask, could you not take into account the self-centeredness of a great scientist, the importance of a great problem? Could you make no allowances for something spoken, perhaps an irritation at being forced to discuss what one did not want to discuss? Was not Vasilius' own anger just now much the same thing? Did not Vasilius' concentration on her own normality, whatever she meant by that, to the exclusion of perhaps the two most important problems facing humanity, the nature of the human brain and the settling of the galaxy, represent an equal self-centeredness with much less excuse? 
but he could ask none of those things. He did not know how to put it so that it would make real sense to this woman, nor was he sure he would understand her if she answered. What was he doing on this world? He could not understand their ways, no matter how they explained, nor could they understand his. He said wearily, I am sorry, Dr. Vasilia. I understand that you are angry, but if you would dismiss your anger for a moment and consider instead the matter of Dr. Fastolf and the murdered robot, could you not see that we are dealing with two different things? Dr. Fastolf might have wanted to observe you in a detached and objective way, even at the cost of your unhappiness, and yet be light years removed from the desire to destroy an advanced humaniform robot. Vasilia reddened. She shouted, don't you understand what I'm telling you, Earthman? Do you think I have told you what I have just told you because I think you or anyone would be interested in the sad story of my life? For that matter, do you think I enjoy revealing myself in this manner? I'm telling you this only to show you that Dr. Hanfastolf, my biological father, as you never tire of pointing out, did destroy Jander. Of course he did. I have refrained from saying so because no one, until you, was idiot enough to ask me and because of some foolish remnant of consideration I have for that man. But now that you have asked me, I say so, and by Aurora I will continue to say so, to anyone and everyone, publicly if necessary. Dr. Han Fastolf did destroy Jander Pennell. I am certain of it. Does that satisfy you? 42. Bailey stared at the distraught woman in horror. He stuttered and began again. I don't understand at all, Dr. Vasilia. Please quiet down and consider. Why should Dr. Fastolf destroy the robot? What is that to do with his treatment of you? Do you imagine it is some kind of retaliation against you? Vasilia was breathing rapidly. Bailey noted absently and without conscious intention that... Although Vasilia was as small-boned as Glodaya was, her breasts were larger, and she seemed to wrench at her voice to keep it under control. She said, I told you, Earthman, did I not, that Han Fastolf was interested in observing the human brain. He did not hesitate to put it under stress in order to observe the results, and he preferred brains that were out of the ordinary, that of an infant, for instance, so that he might watch their development any brain but a commonplace one. But what is that to do? Ask yourself, then, why he gained this interest in the foreign woman, in Gladiah. I asked him, and he told me. She reminded him of you, and the resemblance is indeed distinct. And when you told me this earlier, I was amused and asked if you believed him. I ask again, do you believe him? Why shouldn't I believe him? Because it's not true. The resemblance may have attracted his attention, but the real key to his interest is that the foreign woman is foreign. She has been brought up in Solaria, under assumptions and social axioms not like those on Aurora. He could therefore study a brain that was differently molded from ours and could gain an interesting perspective. Don't you understand that? For that matter, why is he interested in you, Earthman? Is he silly enough to imagine that you can solve an Auroran problem when you know nothing about Aurora? 
Daniil suddenly intervened again, and Bailey started at the sound of the other's voice. Daniil said, Dr. Facilia, partner Elijah solved a problem on Solaria, though he knew nothing of Solaria. Yes, said Vasilia sourly. So all the world's noted on that hyperwave program. And lightning may strike too, but I don't think that Hanfastoff is confident it will strike twice in the same place in rapid succession. No, Earthman, he was attracted to you in the first place because you are an Earthman. You possess another alien brain he can study and manipulate. Surely you cannot believe, Dr. Vasilia, that he would risk matters of vital importance to Aurora and call in someone he knew to be useless merely to study an unusual brain. Of course he would. Isn't that the whole point of what I am telling you? There is no crisis that could face Aurora that he would believe for a single moment to be as important as solving the problem of the brain. I can tell you exactly what he would say if you were to ask him. Aurora might rise or fall, flourish or decay, and that would all be of little concern compared to the problem of the brain. For if human beings really understood the brain, all that might have been lost in the course of a millennium of neglect or wrong decisions would be regained in a decade of cleverly directed human development guided by his dream of psychohistory. He would use the same argument to justify anything lies, cruelty, anything, by merely saying that it is all intended to serve the purpose of advancing the knowledge of the brain. I can't imagine that Dr. Fastolf would be cruel. He is the gentlest of men. Is he? How long have you been with him? Bailey said, A few hours on Earth, three years ago. A day now, here on Aurora. A whole day. A whole day. I was with him for thirty years almost constantly, and I have followed his career from a distance with some attention ever since. And you have been with him a whole day, Earthman. Well, on that one day, has he done nothing that frightened or humiliated you? Bailey kept silent. He thought of the sudden attack with the spicer from which Daniil had rescued him, of the personal that presented him with such difficulty thanks to its masked nature. The extended walk outside, designed to test his ability to adapt to the open. Basilia said, I see he did. Your face, Earthman, is not quite the mask of disguise you may think it is. Did he threaten you with a psychic probe? Bailey said, It was mentioned. One day, and it was already mentioned... I assume it made you feel uneasy. It did. And that there was no reason to mention it? Oh, but there was, said Bailey quickly. I had said that for a moment I had a thought which I then lost, and it was certainly legitimate to suggest that a psychic probe might help me relocate that thought. Vasilia said, No, it wasn't. The psychic probe cannot be used with sufficient delicacy of touch for that. And if it were attempted, the chances would be considerable that there would be permanent brain damage. Surely not if it were wielded by an expert, by Dr. Fastall, for instance. By him? He doesn't know one end of the probe from the other. He is a theoretician, not a technician. By someone else, then. He did not, in actual fact, specify himself. No, Earthman. By no one. Think. Think. If the psychic probe could be used on human beings safely by anyone... 
And if Hand Fastolf were so concerned about the problem of the inactivation of the robot, then why didn't he suggest the psychic probe be used on himself? On himself? Don't tell me this hasn't occurred to you. Any thinking person would come to the conclusion that Fastolf is guilty. The only point in favor of his innocence is that he himself insists he is innocent. Well, then, why does he not offer to prove his innocence by being psychically probed and showing that no trace of guilt can be dredged up from the recesses of his brain? Has he suggested such a thing, Earthman? No, he hasn't. At least, not to me. Because he knows very well that it is deadly dangerous. Yet he does not hesitate to suggest it in your case, merely to observe how your brain works under pressure, how you react to fright. Or perhaps it occurs to him that, however dangerous the probe is to you, it may come up with some interesting data for him, as far as the details of your earth-molded brain are concerned. Tell me, then, isn't that cruel? Bailey brushed it aside with a tight gesture of his right arm. How does this apply to the actual case, to the roboticide? The Solarian woman Gladiah caught my one-time father's eye. She had an interesting brain for his purposes. He therefore gave her the robot Jander to see what would happen if a woman not raised on Aurora were faced with a robot that seemed human in every particular. He knew that an Auroran woman would very likely make use of the robot for sex immediately and have no trouble doing so. I myself would have some trouble, I admit, because I was not brought up normally. But no ordinary Auroran would. The Salarian woman, on the other hand, would have a great deal of trouble because she was brought up on an extremely robotic world and had unusually rigid mental attitudes toward robots. The difference, you see, might be very instructive to my father, who tried, out of these variations, to build his theory of brain functioning. Hanfastolf waited half a year for the Salarian woman to get to the point where she could, perhaps, begin making the first experimental approaches, Bailey interrupted. Your father knew nothing at all about the relationship between Gladiah and Jander. Who told you that, Earthman? My father? Gladiah? If the former, he was naturally lying. If the latter, she simply didn't know, very likely. You may be sure Fastolf knew what was going on. He had to, for it must have been part of his study of how a human brain was bent under Solarian conditions. And then he thought and I am as sure of this as I would be if I could read his thoughts. What would happen now, at the point where the woman is just beginning to rely on Jander, if, suddenly, without reason, she lost him? He knew what an Auroran woman would do. She would feel some disappointment and then seek out some substitute. But what would a Salarian woman do? So he arranged to put Jander out of commission. Destroy an immensely valuable robot just to satisfy a trivial curiosity? Monstrous, isn't it? But that's what Han Fastolf would do. So go back to him, Earthman, and tell him that his little game is over. If the planet generally doesn't believe him to be guilty now, they most certainly will, after I have had my say. 43. For a long moment, Bailey sat there, stunned, while Vasilia looked at him with a kind of grim delight, her face looking harsh and totally unlike that of Gladiah. There seemed nothing to do. 
Bailey got to his feet, feeling old, much older than his forty-five standard years, a child's age to these Aurorans. So far, everything he had done had led to nothing, to worse than nothing, for at every one of his moves the ropes seemed to tighten about Fastolf. He looked upward at the transparent ceiling. The sun was quite high, but perhaps it had passed its zenith, as it was dimmer than ever. Lines of thin clouds obscured it intermittently. Vasilia seemed to become aware of this from his upward glance. Her arm moved on the section of the long bench near which she was sitting, and the transparency of the ceiling vanished. At the same time, a brilliant light suffused the room, bearing the same faint orange tinge that the sun itself had. She said, I think the interview is over. I shall have no reason to see you again, Earthman, or you me. Perhaps you had better leave Aurora. You have done... She smiled humorlessly and said the next words almost savagely. My father enough damage, though scarcely as much as he deserves. Bailey took a step toward the door and his two robots closed in on him. Giscard said in a low voice, Are you well, sir? Bailey shrugged. What was there to answer to that? Vasilia called out, Giscard, when Dr. Fastolf finds he has no further use for you, come join my staff. Giscard looked at her calmly. If Dr. Fastolf permits, I will do so, little miss. Her smile grew warm. Please do so, Giscard. I've never stopped missing you. I often think of you, little miss. Bailey turned at the door. Dr. Vasilia, would you have a personal I might use? Vasilia's eyes widened. Of course not, Earthman. There are community personals here and there at the Institute. Your robots should be able to guide you. He stared at her and shook his head. It was not surprising that she wanted no Earthman infecting her rooms and yet it angered him just the same. He said out of anger, rather than out of any rational judgment, Dr. Vasilia, I would not, were I you, speak of the guilt of Dr. Fastolf. What is there to stop me? The danger of the general uncovering of your dealings with Gramianus. The danger to you. Don't be ridiculous. You have admitted there was no conspiracy between myself and Gramianus. Not really. I agreed there seemed reason to conclude there was no direct conspiracy between you and Gramianus to destroy Jander. There remains the possibility of an indirect conspiracy. You are mad. What is an indirect conspiracy? I am not ready to discuss that in front of Dr. Fastolf's robots, unless you insist. And why should you? You know very well what I mean. There was no reason why Bailey should think she would accept this bluff. It might simply worsen the situation still further. But it didn't. Vasilia seemed to shrink within herself, frowning. Bailey thought, There is, then, an indirect conspiracy, whatever it might be, and this might hold her till she sees through my bluff. Bailey said, his spirits rising a little, I repeat, say nothing about Dr. Fastolf. But, of course, he didn't know how much time he had bought. 
perhaps very little. Chapter 11 Gramionis 44 They were sitting in the airfoil again, all three in the front, with Bailey once more in the middle and feeling the pressure on either side. Bailey was grateful to them for the care they unfailingly gave him, even though they were only machines, helpless to disobey instructions. And then he thought, why dismiss them with a word, machines? They're good machines in a universe of sometimes evil people. I have no right to favor the machines versus people subcategorization over the good versus evil one. And Daniil, at least, I cannot think of as a machine. Giscard said, I must ask again, sir. Do you feel well? Bailey nodded. Quite well, Giscard. I am glad to be out here with you, too. The sky was, for the most part, white. Off-white, actually. There was a gentle wind, and it had felt distinctly cool until they got into the car. Daniil said, Partner Elijah, I was listening carefully to the conversation between yourself and Dr. Vasilia. I do not wish to comment unfavorably on what Dr. Vasilia has said, but I must tell you that, in my observation, Dr. Fastolf is a kind and courteous human being. He has never, to my knowledge, been deliberately cruel, nor has he, as nearly as I can judge, sacrificed a human being's essential welfare to the needs of his curiosity. Bailey looked at Daniil's face, which gave the impression, somehow, of intent sincerity. He said, Could you say anything against Dr. Fastolf, even if he were, in fact, cruel and thoughtless? I could remain silent, but would you? If, by telling a lie, I were to harm a truthful Dr. Vasilia by casting unjustified doubt on her truthfulness, and if, by remaining silent, I would harm Dr. Fastolf by lending further color to the true accusations against him, and if the two harms were, to my mind, roughly equal in intensity, then it would be necessary for me to remain silent. Harm through an active deed outweighs, in general, harm through passivity, all things being reasonably equal. Bailey said, Then, even though the first law states, a robot may not injure a human being or, through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm, the two halves of the law are not equal? A fault of commission, you say, is greater than one of omission. The words of the law are merely an approximate description of the constant variations in positron emotive force along the robotic brain paths, partner Elijah. I do not know enough to describe the matter mathematically, but I know what my tendencies are. And they are always to choose not doing overdoing, if the harm is roughly equal in both directions, in general, and always to choose truth over non-truth, if the harm is roughly equal in both directions, in general, that is. And in this case, since you speak to refute Dr. Vasilia and thus do her harm, you can only do so because the first law is mitigated sufficiently by the fact that you are telling the truth? That is so, partner Elisha. Yet the fact is, you would say what you have said, even though it were a lie, provided Dr. Fastolf had instructed you with sufficient intensity to tell that lie when necessary, and to refuse to admit that you had been so instructed. There was a pause, and then Daniil said, That is so, partner Elisha. It is a complicated mess, Daniil, but you still believe that Dr. Fastolf did not murder Jander Pinnell? 
My experience with them is that he is truthful, partner Elijah, and that he would not do harm to friend Jander. And yet Dr. Fastolf has himself described a powerful motive for his having committed the deed, while Dr. Vasilia has described a completely different motive, one that is just as powerful and is even more disgraceful than the first. Bailey brooded a bit. If the public were made aware of either motive, belief in Dr. Fastolf's guilt would be universal. Bailey turned suddenly to Giscard. How about you, Giscard? You have known Dr. Fastolf longer than Daniil has. Do you agree that Dr. Fastolf could not have committed the deed and could not have destroyed Jander on the basis of your understanding of Dr. Fastolf's character? I do, sir. Bailey regarded the robot uncertainly. He was less advanced than Daniil. How far could he be trusted as a corroborating witness? Might he not be impelled to follow Daniil in whatever direction Daniil chose to take? He said, You knew Dr. Vasilia too, did you not? I knew her very well, said Giscard, and liked her, I gather. She was in my charge for many years, and the task did not in any way trouble me. Even though she fiddled with your programming, she was very skillful. Would she lie about her father, about Dr. Fastolf, that is? Giscard hesitated. No, sir, she would not. Then you are saying that what she says is the truth. Not quite, sir. What I am saying is that she herself believes she is telling the truth. But why should she believe such evil things about her father to be true if, in actual fact, he is as kind a person as Daniil has just told me he was? Giscard said slowly, She has been embittered by various events in her youth, events for which she considers Dr. Fastoff to have been responsible, and for which he may indeed have been unwittingly responsible, to an extent. It seems to me it was not his intention that the events in question should have the consequences they did. However, human beings are not governed by the straightforward laws of robotics. It is therefore difficult to judge the complexities of their motivations under most conditions. True enough, muttered Bailey. Giscard said, Do you think the task of demonstrating Dr. Fastolf's innocence to be hopeless? Bailey's eyebrows moved toward each other in a frown. It may be. As it happens, I see no way out. And if Dr. Vasilia talks, as she is threatened to do, but you ordered her not to talk, you explained that it would be dangerous to herself if she did. Bailey shook his head. I was bluffing. I didn't know what else to say. Do you intend to give up, then? And Bailey said forcefully, No. If it were merely fast off, I might. After all, what physical harm would come to him? Roboticide is not even a crime, apparently, merely a civil offense. At worst, he will lose political influence and perhaps find himself unable to continue with his scientific labors for a time. I would be sorry to see that happen, but if there's nothing more I can do, then there's nothing more I can do. And if it were just myself, I might give up, too. Failure would damage my reputation, but... Who can build a brick house without bricks? I would go back to Earth a bit tarnished. I would lead a miserable and unclassified life, but that is the chance that faces every Earthman and woman. Better men than I have had to face that as unjustly. However, it is a matter of Earth. If I fail, then along with the grievous loss to Dr. Fastolf and to myself, 
there would be an end for any hope Earth people might have to move out of Earth and into the galaxy generally. For that reason, I must not fail, and I must keep on somehow as long as I am not physically thrust off this world. Having ended in what was almost a whisper, he suddenly looked up and said in a peevish tone, Why are we sitting here parked, Giscard? Are you running the motor for your own amusement? With respect, sir, said Giscard, you have not told me where to take you. True. I beg your pardon, Giscard. First, take me to the nearest of the community personals that Dr. Vassilia made mention of. You two may be immune to such things, but I have a bladder that needs emptying. After that, find some place nearby where I can get something to eat. I have a stomach that needs filling. And after that... Yes, partner Elijah? asked Daniil. To tell you the truth, Daniil, I don't know. However, after I attend to these purely physical needs... I will think of something. And how Bailey wished he could believe that. 45. The airfoil did not skim the ground for long. It came to a halt, swaying a bit, and Bailey felt the usual odd tightening of his stomach. That small unsteadiness told him he was in a vehicle, and it drove away the temporary feeling of being safe within walls and between robots, through the glass ahead and on either side, and backward if he craned his neck, was the whiteness of sky and the greenness of foliage, all amounting to outside, that is, to nothing. He swallowed uneasily. They had stopped at a small structure. Bailey said, Is this the community personal? Daniil said, It is the nearest of a number on the Institute grounds, partner Elijah. Oh, you found it quickly. Are these structures also included in the map that has been pumped into your memory? That is the case, partner Elijah. Is this one in use now? It may be, partner Elijah, but three or four may use it simultaneously. Is there room for me? Very likely, partner Elijah. Well, then let me out. I'll go there and see. The robots did not move. Giscard said, Sir, we may not enter with you. Yes, I am aware of that, Giscard. We will not be able to guard you properly, sir. Bailey frowned. The lesser robot would naturally have the more rigid mind, and Bailey suddenly recognized the danger that he would simply not be allowed out of their sight, and therefore not allowed to enter the personal. He put a note of urgency into his voice and turned his attention to Daniil, who might be expected to more nearly understand human needs. I can't help that, Giscard. Daniil, I have no choice in the matter. Let me out of the car. Giscard looked at Bailey without moving, and for one horrid moment, Bailey thought the robot would suggest that he unburden himself in the nearby field, in the open, like an animal. The moment passed. Daniil said, I think we must allow partner Elisha to have his way in this respect. Whereupon Giscard said to Bailey, if you can wait for a short while, sir, I will approach the structure first. Bailey grimaced. Giscard walked slowly toward the building and then, deliberately, circumnavigated it. Bailey might have predicted the fact that once Giscard disappeared, his own sense of urgency would increase. He tried to distract his own nerve endings by staring around at the prospect. 
After some study, he became aware of thin wires in the air, here and there, fine, dark hairs against the white sky. He did not see them to begin with. What he saw first was an oval object sliding along beneath the clouds. He became aware of it as a vehicle, and realized that it was not floating but was suspended from a long horizontal wire. He followed that long wire with his eyes, forward and back, noting others of the sort. He then saw another vehicle farther off, and yet another still farther off. The farthest of the three was a featureless speck, whose nature he understood only because he had seen the nearer ones. Undoubtedly, these were cable cars for internal transportation from one part of the Robotics Institute to another. How spread out it all was, thought Bailey. How needlessly the Institute consumed space. And yet, in doing so, it did not consume the surface. The structures were sufficiently widely spaced so that the greenery seemed untouched, and the plant and animal life continued, Bailey imagined, as they might in emptiness. Solaria, Bailey remembered, had been empty. No doubt all the spacer worlds were empty, since Aurora, the most populous, was so empty, even here in the most built-up region of the planet. For that matter, even Earth, outside the cities, was empty. But there were the cities, and Bailey felt a sharp pang of homesickness, which he had to push to one side. Daniil said, Ah, Friend Giscard has completed his examination. Giscard was back, and Bailey said tartly, Well, will you be so kind as to grant me permission? He stopped. Why expend sarcasm on the impenetrable hide of a robot? Giscard said, It seems quite certain that the personal is unoccupied. Good, then get out of my way. Bailey flung open the door of the airfoil and stepped out into the gravel of a narrow path. He strode rapidly, with Daniil following. When he reached the door of the structure, Daniil wordlessly indicated the contact that would open it. Daniil did not venture to touch the contact himself. Presumably, thought Bailey, to have done so without specific instructions would have indicated an intention to enter, and even the intention was not permitted. Bailey pushed the contact and entered, leaving the two robots behind. It was not until he was inside that it occurred to him that Giscard could not possibly have entered the personal to see that it was unoccupied, that the robot must have been judging the matter from external appearance, a dubious proceeding at best. And Bailey realized, with some discomfort, that for the first time he was isolated and separated from all protectors, and that the protectors on the other side of the door couldn't easily enter if he were suddenly in trouble. What then if he were, at this moment, not alone? What if some enemy had been alerted by Vasilia, who knew he would be in search of a personal? And what if that enemy was in hiding right now in the structure? Bailey grew suddenly and uncomfortably aware that, as would not have been the case on Earth, he was totally unarmed. 46. To be sure, the structure was not large. There were small urinals, side by side, half a dozen of them. Small wash basins, side by side, again, half a dozen. No showers, no clothes fresheners, no shaving devices. 
There were half a dozen stalls, separated by partitions and with small doors to each. Might there not be someone waiting inside one of them? The doors did not come down to the ground. Moving softly, he bent and glanced under each door, looking for any sign of legs. He then approached each door, testing it, swinging it open tensely, ready to slam it shut at the least sign of anything untoward, and then to dash to the door that led to the outside. All the stalls were empty. He looked around to make sure there were no other hiding places. He could find none. He went to the door to the outside and found no indication of a way of locking it. It occurred to him that there would naturally be no way of locking it. The personal was clearly for the use of several men at the same time. Others would have to be able to enter at need. Yet he could not very well leave and try another, for the danger would exist at any. And besides, he could delay no longer. For a moment he found himself unable to decide which of the series of urinals he should use. He could approach and use any of them. So could anyone else. He forced the choice of one upon himself, and aware of openness all around, was afflicted at once with bashful bladder. He felt the urgency, but had to wait impatiently for the feeling of apprehension at the possible entrance of others to dissipate itself. He no longer feared the entrance of enemies, just the entrance of anyone. And then he thought, the robots will at least delay anyone approaching. With that, he managed to relax. He was quite done, greatly relieved, and about to turn to a wash basin when he heard a moderately high-pitched, rather tense voice. Are you Elijah Bailey? Bailey froze. After all his apprehension and all his precautions, he had been unaware of someone entering. In the end, he had been entirely wrapped up in the simple act of emptying his bladder, something that should not have taken up even the tiniest fraction of his conscious mind. Was he getting old? To be sure, there seemed no threat of any kind in the voice he heard. It seemed empty of menace. It may have been that Bailey simply felt certain, and had the sure confidence within him, that Daniil, at least, if not Giscard, would not have allowed a threat to enter. What bothered Bailey was merely the entrance. In his whole life, he had never been approached, let alone addressed, by a man in a personal. On earth, that was the most strenuous taboo, and on Solaria, and until now on Aurora, he had used only one-person personals. The voice came again, impatient. Come, you must be Elijah Bailey. Slowly, Bailey turned. It was a man of moderate height, delicately dressed in well-fitted clothing in various shades of blue. He was light-skinned, light-haired, and had a small mustache that was a shade darker than the hair on his head. Bailey found himself staring with fascination at the small strip of hair on the upper lip. It was the first time he had seen a spacer with a mustache. Bailey said, and was filled with shame at speaking in a personal, I am Elijah Bailey. His voice, even in his own ears, seemed a scratchy and unconvincing whisper. The spacer seemed to find it unconvincing, certainly. He said, narrowing his eyes and staring, The robots outside said Elijah Bailey was in here, but you don't look at all the way you looked on Hyperwave, not at all. That foolish dramatization, thought Bailey fiercely. 
No one would meet him to the end of time without having been preliminarily poisoned by that impossible representation. No one would accept him as a human being at the start, as a fallible human being. And when they discovered the fallibility, they would, in disappointment, consider him a fool. He turned resentfully to the wash basin and splashed water, then shook his hands vaguely in the air, while wondering where the hot air jet might be found. The spacer touched a contact and seemed to pluck a thin bit of absorbent fluff out of midair. Thank you, said Bailey, taking it. That was not me in the hyperwave show. It was an actor. I know that, but they might have picked one that looked more like you, mightn't they? It seemed to be a source of grievance to him. I want to speak to you. How did you get past my robots? That was another source of grievance, apparently. I nearly didn't said the spacer. They tried to stop me, and I only had one robot with me. I had to pretend I had to get in here on an emergency basis, and they searched me. They absolutely laid hands on me to see if I was carrying anything dangerous. I'd have you up on charges if you weren't an Earthman. You can't give robots the kind of orders that embarrass a human being. I'm sorry, said Bailey stiffly, but I am not the one who gave them their orders. What can I do for you? I want to speak to you. You are speaking to me. Who are you? The other seemed to hesitate, then said, Grimionis. Santerix Grimionis? That's right. Why do you want to speak to me? For a moment, Grimionis stared at Bailey, apparently with embarrassment. Then he mumbled, Well, as long as I'm here, if you don't mind, I might as well. And he stepped toward the line of urinals. Bailey realized, with the last refinement of horrified queasiness, what it was Grimionis intended to do. He turned hastily and said, I'll wait for you outside. No, no, don't go, said Grimionis desperately, in what was almost a squeak. This won't take a second, please. It was only that Bailey now wanted just as desperately to talk to Grimionis and did not want to do anything that might offend the other and make him unwilling to talk. Otherwise, he would not have been willing to accede to the request. He kept his back turned and squinted his eyes nearly shut in a sort of horrified reflex. And it was only when Grimionis came up around him, his hands kneading a fluffy towel of his own, that Bailey could relax again, after a fashion. Why do you want to speak to me? he said again. Gladiah, the woman from Solaria? Grimionis looked dubious and stopped. I know, Gladia, said Bailey coldly. Gladia viewed me, trimensionally, you know, and told me you had asked about me, and she asked me if I had in any way mistreated a robot she owned, a human-looking robot like one of those outside. Well, did you, Mr. Grimionis? No, I didn't even know she owned a robot like that until... Did you tell her I did? I was only asking questions, Mr. Grimionis. Grimionis had made a fist of his right hand and was grinding it nervously into his left. He said intensely, I don't want to be falsely accused of anything, and especially where such a false accusation would affect my relationship with Gladiah. Bailey said, How did you find me? Grimionis said, She asked me about that robot and said you had asked about me. I had heard you had been called to Aurora by Dr. Fastolf to solve this puzzle about the robot. It was on the hyperwave news, and... 
The words ground out as though they were emerging from him with the utmost difficulty. Go on, said Bailey. I had to talk to you and explain that I had had nothing to do with that robot. Nothing! Glodiah didn't know where you were, but I thought Dr. Fastolf would know. So you called him? Oh, no, I, I don't think I'd have the nerve to... He's such an important scientist. But Glodiah called him for me. She's that kind of person. He told her you had gone to see his daughter, Dr. Vasilia Aliena. That was good, because I know her. Yes, I know you do, said Bailey. Gramionis looked uneasy. How did you... Did you ask her about me, too? His uneasiness seemed to be degenerating to misery. I finally called Dr. Vasilia, and she said you had just left, and I'd probably find you at some community personal, and this one is the closest to her establishment. I was sure there would be no reason for you to delay in order to find a farther one. I mean, why should you? You reason quite correctly, but how is it you got here so quickly? I work at the Robotics Institute, and my establishment is on the Institute grounds. My scooter brought me here in minutes. Did you come here alone? Yes, with only one robot. The scooter is a two-seater, you see. And your robot is waiting outside? Yes. Tell me again why you want to see me. I've got to make sure you don't think I've had anything to do with that robot. I never even heard of him till this whole thing exploded in the news. So, can I talk to you now? Yes, but not here, said Bailey firmly. Let's get out. How strange it was, thought Bailey, that he was so pleased to get out from behind walls and into the outside. There was something more totally alien to this personal than anything else he had encountered on either Aurora or Solaria. Even more disconcerting than the fact of planet-wide indiscriminate use had been the horror of being openly and casually addressed, of behavior that drew no distinction between this place and its purpose and any other place and purpose. The book films he had viewed had said nothing of this. Clearly, as Fastolf had pointed out, they were not written for Earth people, but for Aurorans and, to a lesser extent, for possible tourists from the other 49 spacer worlds. Earth people, after all, almost never went to the spacer worlds, least of all to Aurora. They were not welcome there. Why, then, should they be addressed? And why should the book films expand on what everyone knew? Should they make a fuss over the fact that Aurora was spherical in shape, or that water was wet, or that one man might address another freely in a personal? Yet did that not make a mockery of the very name of the structure? Yet Bailey found himself unable to avoid thinking of the women's personals on Earth, where, as Jesse had frequently told him, women chattered incessantly and felt no discomfort about it. Why women, but not men? Bailey had never thought seriously about it before, but had accepted it merely as custom, as unbreakable custom. But if women, why not men? It didn't matter. The thought only affected his intellect, and not whatever it was about his mind that made him feel overwhelming and ineradicable distaste for the whole idea. He repeated, Let's get out. Gramionis protested. But your robots are out there. So they are. What of it? But this is something I want to talk about privately. Man to... Man. He stumbled over the phrase. I suppose you mean spacer to Earthman. If you like. My robots are necessary. They are my partners in my investigation. 
But this has nothing to do with the investigation. That's what I'm trying to tell you. I'll be the judge of that, said Bailey firmly, walking out of the personal. Gramionis hesitated and then followed. 47. Daniil and Giscard were waiting, impassive, expressionless, patient. On Daniil's face, Bailey thought he could make out a trace of concern, but on the other hand, he might merely be reading that emotion into those inhumanly human features. Giscard, the less human-looking, showed nothing, of course, even to the most willing personifier. A third robot waited as well, presumably that of Gramionis. He was simpler in appearance, even than Giscard, and had an air of shabbiness about him. It was clear that Gramionis was not very well-to-do. Daniil said, with what Bailey automatically assumed to be the warmth of relief, I am pleased that you are well, partner Elijah. Entirely well. I am curious, however, about something. If you had heard me call out an alarm from within, would you have come in? At once, sir, said Giscard. Even though you are programmed not to enter personals, the need to protect a human being, you in particular, would be paramount, sir. That is so, partner Elijah, said Daniil. I'm glad to hear that, said Bailey. This person is Santirix Gramionis. Mr. Gramionis, this is Daniil, and this is Giscard. Each robot bent his head solemnly. Gramionis merely glanced at them and lifted one hand in indifferent acknowledgment. He made no effort to introduce his own robot. Bailey looked around. The light was distinctly dimmer. The wind was brisker, the air was cooler, the sun was completely hidden by clouds. There was a gloom to the surroundings that did not seem to affect Bailey, who continued to be delighted at having escaped from the personal. It lifted his spirits amazingly that he was actually experiencing the feeling of being pleased at being outside. It was a special case, he knew, but it was a beginning, and he could not help but consider it a triumph. Bailey was about to turn to Gramionis to resume the conversation when his eye caught movement. Walking across the lawn came a woman with an accompanying robot. She was coming toward them, but seemed totally oblivious to them. She was clearly making for the personal. Bailey put out his arm in the direction of the woman, as though to stop her, even though she was still thirty meters away, and muttered, Doesn't she know that's a men's personal? What? said Gramionis. The woman continued to approach, while Bailey watched in total puzzlement. Finally, the woman's robot stepped to one side to wait, and the woman entered the structure. Bailey said helplessly, But she can't go in there. Gramionis said, Why not? It's communal. But it's for men. It's for people, said Gramionis. He seemed utterly confused. Either sex? Surely you can't mean that. Any human being. Of course I mean it. How would you want it to be? I don't understand. Bailey turned away. It had not been many minutes before that he had thought that open conversation in a personal was the acme and bad taste of things not done. If he had tried to think of something worse yet, he would have completely failed to dredge up the possibility of encountering a woman in a personal. Convention on Earth required him to ignore the presence of others in the large community personals on that world, but not all the conventions ever invented 
would have prevented him from knowing whether a person passing him was a man or a woman. What if, while he had been in the personal, a woman had entered, casually, indifferently, as this one had just done? Or worse still, what if he had entered a personal and found a woman already there? He could not estimate his reaction. He had never weighed the possibility, let alone met with such a situation, but he found the thought totally intolerable. And the book films had told him nothing about that either. He had viewed those films in order that he might not approach the investigation in total ignorance of the Auroran way of life, and they had left him in total ignorance of all that was important. Then how could he handle this triply knotted puzzle of Jander's death when at every step he found himself lost in ignorance? A moment before he had felt triumph at a small conquest over the terrors of outside, but now he was faced with the feeling of being ignorant of everything, ignorant even of the nature of his ignorance. It was now, while fighting not to picture the woman passing through the airspace lately occupied by himself, that he came near to utter despair. 48. Again Giscard said, and in a way that made it possible to read concern into his words, if not into the tone, Are you unwell, sir? Do you need help? Bailey muttered, oh, No, I'm all right. But let's move away. We're in the path of people wishing to use that structure. He walked rapidly toward the airfoil that was resting in the open stretch beyond the gravel path. On the other side was a small two-wheeled vehicle with two seats, one behind the other. Bailey assumed it to be Grimianus's scooter. His feeling of depression and misery, Bailey realized, was accentuated by the fact that he felt hungry. It was clearly past lunchtime, and he had not eaten. He turned to Grimianus. Let's talk, but if you don't mind, let's do it over lunch. That is, if you haven't already eaten, and if you don't mind eating with me. Where are you going to eat? I don't know. Where does one eat at the Institute? Gramina said, Not at the community diner. We can't talk there. Is there an alternative? Come to my establishment, said Gramina at once. It isn't one of the fancier ones here. I'm not one of your high executives. Still, I have a few serviceable robots, and we can set a decent table. I tell you what. I'll get on my scooter with Brundage, my robot, you know, and you follow me. You'll have to go slowly, but I'm only a little over a kilometer away. It'll take just two or three minutes. He moved away at an eager half-run. Bailey watched him and thought there seemed to be a kind of gangly youthfulness about him. There was no easy way of actually judging his age, of course. Spacers didn't show age, and Gramianists might easily be fifty. But he acted young almost what an Earthman would consider teenage young. Bailey wasn't sure exactly what there was about him that gave that impression. Bailey turned suddenly to Daniil. Do you know Grimianus, Daniil? I have never met him before, partner Elijah. You, Giscard? I have met him once, sir, but only in passing. Do you know anything about him, Giscard? Nothing that is not apparent on the surface, sir. His age, his personality... No, sir. Gramianus shouted, Ready? His scooter was humming rather roughly. It was clear that it was not airjet-assisted. The wheels would not leave the ground. 
Brundig sat behind Gramianus. Giscard, Daniil, and Bailey moved quickly into their airfoil once again. Gramianus moved outward in a loose circle. Gramianus's hair flew backward in the wind, and Bailey had a sudden sensation of how the wind must feel when one traveled in an open vehicle such as a scooter. He was thankful he was totally enclosed in an airfoil, which suddenly seemed to him a much more civilized way of traveling. The scooter straightened out and darted off with a muted roar, Gramianus waving one hand in a follow-me gesture. The robot behind him maintained his balance with almost negligent ease and did not hold on to Gramianus's waist, as Bailey was certain a human being would have needed to. The airfoil followed. Although the scooter's smooth forward progression seemed high speed, that was apparently the illusion of its small size. The airfoil had some difficulty maintaining a speed low enough to avoid running it down. Just the same, said Bailey thoughtfully. One thing puzzles me. What is that, partner Elijah? asked Daniil. Vasilia referred to this Gramianus disparagingly as a barber. Apparently he deals with hair, clothes, and other matters of personal human adornment. How is it, then, that he has an establishment on the grounds of the Robotics Institute? Chapter 12 Again Gramianus 49 It took only a few minutes before Bailey found himself in the fourth Auroran establishment he had seen since his arrival on the planet a day and a half before. Fastolfs, Gladias, Vasilias, and now Gramianus's. Gramianus's establishment appeared smaller and drabber than the others, even though it showed, to Bailey's unpractised eye in Auroran matters, signs of recent construction. The distinctive mark of the Auroran establishment, the robotic niches, were, however, present. On entering, Giscard and Daniil moved quickly into two that were empty and faced the room, unmoving and silent. Gramianus's robot, Brundige, moved into a third niche almost as quickly. There was no sign of any difficulty in making their choices, or of any tendency for any one niche to be the target of two robots, however briefly. Bailey wondered how the robots avoided conflict, and decided there must be signal communication among them of a kind that was subliminal to human beings. It was something, provided he remembered to do so, concerning which he might consult Daniil. Gramianus was studying the niches also, Bailey noticed. Gramianus's hand had gone to his upper lip, and for a moment his forefinger stroked the small mustache. He said, a bit uncertainly, Your robot, the human-looking one, doesn't seem right in the niche. That's Daniil Olivai, isn't it? Dr. Fastolf's robot? Yes, said Bailey. He was in the hyperwave drama, too or at least an actor was, one who better fit the part. Yes, I remember. Bailey noted that Gramianus, like Vasilia and even like Gladai and Fastolf, kept a certain distance. There seemed to be a repulsion field, unseen, unfelt, unsensed in any way, around Bailey that kept these spacers from approaching too closely, that sent them into a gentle curve of avoidance when they passed him. Bailey wondered if Gramianus was aware of this, or if it was entirely automatic, 
and what did they do with the chairs he sat in while in their establishments, the dishes he ate from, the towels he used? Would ordinary washing suffice? Were there special sterilizing procedures? Would they discard and replace everything? Would the establishments be fumigated once he left the planet, or every night? What about the community personal he used? Would they tear it down and rebuild it? What about the woman who had ignorantly entered it after he had left? Or could she possibly have been the fumigator? He realized he was getting silly. To outer space with it. What the Aurorans did and how they dealt with their problems was their affair, and he would bother his head no more with them. Jehoshaphat. He had his own problems, and right now the particular splinter of it was Gramianus, and he would tackle that after lunch. Lunch was rather simple, largely vegetarian, but for the first time he had a little trouble. Each separate item was too sharply defined in taste. The carrots tasted rather strongly of carrots, and the peas of peas, so to speak. A little too much so, perhaps. He ate rather reluctantly and tried not to show a slightly rising gorge. And as he did so, he became aware that he grew used to it, as though his taste buds saturated and could handle the excess more easily. It dawned on Bailey in a rather sad way that if his exposure to a roaring food was to continue for any length of time, he would return to earth missing that distinctiveness of flavor and resenting the flowing together of earth tastes. Even the crispness of various items which had startled him at first, as each closing of his teeth seemed to create a noise that surely, he thought, must interfere with conversation, had already grown to seem exciting evidence that he was, in fact, eating. There would be a silence about an earth meal that would leave him missing something. He began to eat with attention, to study the tastes. Perhaps when earth people established themselves on other worlds, this spacer-fashioned food would be the mark of the new diet, especially if there were no robots to prepare and serve the meals. And then he thought uncomfortably, not when, but if, earth people established themselves on other worlds, and the ifness of it all depended on him, on plain clothesman Elijah Bailey. The burden of it weighed him down. The meal was over. A pair of robots brought in the heated, moistened napkins with which one could clean one's hands. Except that they weren't ordinary napkins, for when Bailey put his down on the plate, it seemed to move slightly, thin out, and grow cobwebby. Then, quite suddenly, it leaped up insubstantially and was carried into an outlet in the ceiling. Bailey jumped slightly, and his eyes moved upward, following the disappearing item open-mouthed. Gramianus said, That's something new I just picked up. Disposable, you see, but I don't know if I like it yet. Some people say it will clog the disposal vent after a while, and others worry about pollution, because they say some of it will surely get in your lungs. The manufacturer says not, but... Bailey realized suddenly that he had said not a word during the meal, and that this was the first time either of them had spoken since the short exchange on Daniil before the meal had been served and there was no use in small talk about napkins. Bailey said rather gruffly, Are you a barber, Mr. Gramianus? Gramianus flushed, his light skin reddening to the hairline. He said in a choked voice, Who told you that? 
Bailey said. If that is an impolite way of referring to your profession, I apologize. It is a common way of speaking on earth, and is no insult there. Gramina said, I am a hair designer and a clothing designer. It is a recognized branch of art. I am, in fact, a personnel artist. His finger went to his mustache again. Bailey said gravely, I notice your mustache. Is it common to grow them on Aurora? No, it is not. I hope it will become so. You take your masculine face. A great many of them can be strengthened and improved by the artful design of facial hair. Everything is in the design. That's part of my profession. You can go too far, of course. On the world of palace, facial hair is common, but it is the practice there to indulge in party-colored dyeing. Each individual hair is separately dyed to produce some sort of mixture. Now, that's foolish. It doesn't last. The colors change with time, and it looks terrible. But even so, it's better than facial baldness in some ways. Nothing is less attractive than a facial desert. That's my own phrase. I use it in my personal talks with potential clients, and it's very effective. Females can get by with no facial hair because they make up for it in other ways. On the world of Smithius, there was a hypnotic quality to his quiet, rapid words and his earnest expression, the way in which his eyes widened and remained fixed on Bailey with an intense sincerity. Bailey had to shake loose with an almost physical force. He said, Are you a roboticist, Mr. Gramionis? Gramionis looked startled and a little confused at being interrupted in mid-flow. A roboticist? Yes, a roboticist. No, not at all. I use robots as everyone does, but I don't know what's inside them. Don't care, really. But you live here on the grounds of the Robotics Institute. How is that? Why shouldn't I? Gramionis's voice was measurably more hostile. If you're not a roboticist, Gramionis grimaced. That's stupid. The Institute, when it was designed some years ago, was intended to be a self-contained community. We have our own transport vehicle repair shops, our own personal robot maintenance shops, our own physicians, our own structuralists. Our personnel live here, and if they have use for a personnel artist, that's Santirix Gramionis, and I live here too. Is there something wrong with my profession that I should not? I haven't said that. Gramionis turned away with a residual petulance that Bailey's hasty disclaimer had not allayed. He pressed a button, then, after studying a vari-colored rectangular strip, did something that was remarkably like drumming his fingers briefly. A sphere dropped gently from the ceiling and remained suspended a meter or so above their heads. It opened as though it were an orange that was unsegmenting, and a play of colors began within it, together with a soft wash of sound. The two melted together so skillfully that Bailey, watching with astonishment, discovered that, after a short while, it was hard to distinguish one from the other. The windows opacified, and the segments grew brighter. Too bright? asked Gramionis. No, said Bailey, after some hesitation. It's meant for background, and I've picked a soothing combination that will make it easier for us to talk in a civilized way, you know. Then he said briskly, Shall we get to the point? Bailey withdrew his attention from the... whatever it was. Gramionis had not given it a name. With some difficulty, and said, If you please, I would like to. 
Have you been accusing me of having anything to do with the immobilization of that robot Jander? I've been inquiring into the circumstances of the robot's ending. But you've mentioned me in connection with that ending. In fact, just a little while ago, you asked me if I were a roboticist. I know what you had in mind. You were trying to get me to admit I knew something about robotics so that you could build up a case against me as the... as the ender of the robot. You might say the killer. The killer? You can't kill a robot. In any case, I didn't end it. Or kill it, or anything you want to call it. I told you I'm not a roboticist. I know nothing about robotics. How can you even think that... I must investigate all connections, Mr. Grimianus. Jander belonged to Gladia, the Solarian woman, and you were friendly with her. That's a connection. There could be any number of people friendly with her. That's no connection. Are you willing to state that you never saw Jander in all the times you may have been in Gladia's establishment? Never. Not once. You never knew she had a humaniform robot? No. She never mentioned him. She had robots all over the place. All ordinary robots. She said nothing about having anything else. Bailey shrugged. Very well. I have no reason, so far, to suppose that that is not the truth. Then say so to Gladia. That is why I wanted to see you, to ask you to do that, to insist. Has Gladia any reason to think otherwise? Of course. You poisoned her mind. You questioned her about me in that connection, and she assumed she was made uncertain. The fact is, she called this morning and asked me if I had anything to do with it. I told you that. And you denied it. Of course I denied it, and very strenuously, too, because I didn't have anything to do with it. But it's not convincing if I do the denying. I want you to do it. I want you to tell her that, in your opinion, I had nothing to do with the whole business. You just said I didn't, and you can't, without any evidence at all, destroy my reputation. I can report you. To whom? To the Committee on Personal Defense. To the legislature. The head of this institute is a close personal friend of the chairman himself, and I've already sent a full report to him on this matter. I'm not waiting, you understand. I'm taking action. Gramianus shook his head with an attitude that might have been intended for fierceness, but did not entirely carry conviction, considering the mildness of his face. Look, he said, this isn't Earth. We are protected here. Your planet, with its overpopulation, makes your people exist in so many beehives, so many anthills. You push against each other, suffocate each other, and it doesn't matter. One life or a million lives, it doesn't matter. Bailey, fighting to keep contempt from showing in his voice, said, You've been reading historical novels. Of course I have, and they describe it as it is. You can't have billions of people on a single world without its being so. On Aurora? We are each a valuable life. We are protected physically, each of us, by our robots, so that there is never an assault, let alone murder, on Aurora. Except for Jander. That's not murder. It's only a robot. And we are protected from the kinds of harm more subtle than assault by our legislature. The Committee on Personal Defense takes a dim view, a very dim view, of any action that unfairly damages the reputation or the social status of any individual citizen. An Auroran acting as you did would be in trouble enough. As for an Earthman, well, Bailey said, I am carrying on an investigation at the invitation, I presume, of the legislature. I don't suppose Dr. Fastolf could have brought me here without legislative permission. Maybe so. 
but that wouldn't give you the right to overstep the limits of fair investigation. Are you going to put this up to the legislature, then? I'm going to have the Institute head, what is his name, by the way? Keldon Amadiro. I'm going to ask him to put it up to the legislature, and he's in the legislature, you know. He's one of the leaders of the Globalist Party. So I think you had better make it plain to Glodiah that I am completely innocent. I would like to, Mr. Grabianus, because I suspect that you are innocent. But how can I change suspicion to certainty unless you will allow me to ask you some questions? Grabianus hesitated. Then, with an air of defiance, he leaned back in his chair and placed his hands behind his neck, the picture of a man utterly failing to appear at ease. He said, Ask away. I have nothing to hide. And after you're done, you'll have to call Gladaya right on that trimensional transmitter behind you and say your piece, or you will be in more trouble than you can imagine. I understand. But first... How long have you known Dr. Vasilia Fastolf, Mr. Gramianus, or Dr. Vasilia Aliena, if you know her by that name? Gramianus hesitated, then said in a tense voice, Why do you ask that? What does that have to do with it? Bailey sighed, and his dour face seemed to sadden further. I remind you, Mr. Gramianus, that you have nothing to hide and that you want to convince me of your innocence so that I can convince Glodiah of the same. Just tell me how long you have known her. If you have not known her, just say so. But before you do, it is only fair to tell you that Dr. Vasilia has stated that you knew her well. Well enough, at least, to offer yourself to her. Gramianus looked chagrined. He said in a shaky voice, I don't know why people have to make a big thing out of it. An offer is a perfectly natural social interaction that concerns no one else. Of course, you're an Earthman, so you'd make a fuss about it. I understand she didn't accept your offer. Gramianus brought his hands down upon his lap, fists clenched. Accepting or rejecting is entirely up to her. There have been people who have offered themselves to me and whom I've rejected. It's no large matter. Well, then, how long have you known her? For some years, about fifteen. Did you know her when she was still living with Dr. Fastolf? I was just a boy then, he said, flushing. How did you get to know her? When I finished my training as a personnel artist, I was called in to design a wardrobe for her. It gave her pleasure, and after that she used my services in that respect exclusively. Was it on her recommendation, then, that you received your present position as, might we say, official personnel artist for the members of the Robotics Institute? She recognized my qualifications. I was tested along with others and won the position on my merits. But she did recommend you. Briefly and with annoyance, Gramianus said, Yes. And you felt the only decent return you could make was to offer yourself to her. Gramianus grimaced and drew his tongue across his lips, as though tasting something unpleasant. That is disgusting. I suppose an earthman would think in such a way. My offer meant only that it pleased me to do so, because she is attractive and has a warm personality. Gramianus hesitated. Well, I wouldn't say she has a warm personality, he said cautiously. But certainly she's attractive. I've been told that you offer yourself to everybody without distinction. That is a lie. What is a lie? That you offer yourself to everybody or that I have been told so? 
that I offer myself to everybody. Who said that? I don't know that it would serve any purpose to answer that question. Would you expect me to quote you as a source of embarrassing information? Would you speak freely to me if you thought I would? Well, whoever said it is a liar. Perhaps it was merely dramatic exaggeration. Had you offered yourself to others before you offered yourself to Dr. Vasilia? Gramianus looked away. Once or twice, never seriously. But Dr. Vasilia was someone you were serious about. Well, it is my understanding you offered yourself to her repeatedly, which is quite against Auroran custom. Oh, Auroran custom, Gramianus began furiously. Then he pressed his lips together firmly and his forehead furrowed. See here, Mr. Bailey, can I speak to you confidentially? Yes. All my questions are intended to satisfy myself that you had nothing to do with Jander's death. Once I am satisfied of that, you may be sure I'll keep your remarks in confidence. Very well, then. It's nothing wrong. It's nothing I'm ashamed of, you understand. It's just that I have a strong sense of privacy, and I have a right to that if I wish, don't I? Absolutely, said Bailey consolingly. You see, I feel that social sex is best when there is a profound love and affection between partners. I imagine that's very true. And then there's no need for others, wouldn't you say? It sounds plausible. I've always dreamed of finding the perfect partner and never seeking anyone else. They call it monogamy. It doesn't exist on Aurora, but on some worlds it does. And they have it on Earth, don't they, Mr. Bailey? In theory, Mr. Gramianus. It's what I want. I've looked for it for years. When I experimented with sex sometimes, I could tell something was missing. Then I met Dr. Vasilia, and she told me... Well, people get confidential with their personnel artists because it's very personal work. And this is the really confidential part. Well, go on. Gramianus licked his lips. If what I say now gets out, I'm ruined. She'll do her best to see to it that I get no further commissions. Are you sure this has something to do with the case? I assure you with as much force as I can, Mr. Gramianus, that this can be totally important. Well, then, Gramianus did not look quite convinced. The fact is that I gathered from what Dr. Vasilia told me in bits and pieces that she is... His voice dropped to a whisper. A virgin. I see, said Bailey quietly, remembering Facilia's certainty that her father's refusal had distorted her life and getting a firmer understanding of her hatred of her father. That excited me. It seemed to me I could have her all to myself, and I would be the only one that she would ever have. I can't explain how much that meant to me, it made her look gloriously beautiful in my eyes, and I just wanted her so much. So you offered yourself to her? Yes, repeatedly. You weren't discouraged by her refusals? It just reinforced her virginity, so to speak, and made me more eager. It was more exciting that it wasn't easy. I can't explain, and I don't expect you to understand. Actually, Mr. Gramianus, I do understand. But there came a time when you stopped offering yourself to Dr. Vasilia. Well, yes. And began offering yourself to Glodaya. Well, yes. Repeatedly. Well, yes. Why? Why the change? Gramianus said, Dr. Facilia finally made it clear that there was no chance, 
and then Glodaya came along, and she looked like Dr. Vasilia, and, and that was it. Bailey said, but Glodaya is no virgin. She was married on Solaria, and she experimented rather widely on Aurora, I am told. I knew about that, but she stopped. You see, she's a Solarian by birth, not an Auroran, and she didn't quite understand Auroran customs, but she stopped because she doesn't like what she calls promiscuity. Did she tell you that? Yes. Monogamy is the custom on Solaria. She wasn't happily married, but it is still the custom she's used to, so she never enjoyed the Auroran way when she tried it, and monogamy is what I want too, do you see? I see. But how did you meet her in the first place? I just met her. She was on the hyperwave when she arrived in Aurora, a romantic refugee from Solaria, and she played a part in that hyperwave drama. Yes, yes, but there was something else, wasn't there? I don't know what else you want. Well, let me guess. Didn't there come a point when Dr. Facilia said she was rejecting you forever, and didn't she suggest an alternative to you? Gramianus, in sudden fury, shouted, Did Dr. Facilia tell you that? Not in so many words, but I think I know what happened, even so. Did she not tell you that it might be advantageous if you looked up a new arrival on the planet, a young lady from Solaria, who was a ward or protege of Dr. Fastolf, who you know is Dr. Facilia's father? Did Dr. Facilia perhaps not tell you that people thought this young lady, Glodaya, rather resembled herself, but that she was younger and had a warmer personality? Did Dr. Facilia not, in short, encourage you to transfer your attentions from herself to Glodaya? Gramianus was visibly suffering. His eyes flicked to those of Bailey and away again. It was the first time that Bailey saw in the eyes of any spacer a look of fright. Or was it awe? Bailey shook his head slightly. He must not take too much satisfaction at having overawed a spacer. It could damage his objectivity. He said, Well, am I right or wrong? And Gramianus said in a low voice, That hyperwave show was no exaggeration then. Do you read minds? 50. Bailey said calmly, I just asked questions, and you haven't answered directly. Am I right or wrong? Gramianus said, it didn't quite happen like that. Not just like that. She did talk about Glodaya, but... He bit at his lower lip and then said, Well, it amounted to what you said. It was just about the way you described it. And you were not disappointed. You found that Glodaya did resemble Dr. Facilia. In a way, she did. Gramianus's eyes brightened. But not really. Stand them side by side and you'll see the difference. Glodaya has much greater delicacy and grace, a greater spirit of... of fun. Have you offered yourself to Vasilia since you met Glodaya? Are you mad? Of course not. But you have offered yourself to Glodaya. Yes. And she rejected you. Well, yes, but you have to understand that she has to be sure, as I would have to be. Think what a mistake I would have made if I had moved Dr. Vasilia to accept me. Glodaya doesn't want to make that mistake, and I don't blame her but you don't think it would be a mistake for her to accept you, so you have offered yourself again and again and again. Gramianus stared vacantly at Bailey for a moment, and then seemed to shudder. He thrust out his lower lip as though he were a rebellious child. You say it in an insulting way. I'm sorry. 
I don't mean it to be insulting. Please answer the question. Well, I have. How many times have you offered yourself? I haven't counted. Four times. Well, five. Or maybe more. And she has always rejected you. Yes. Or I wouldn't have to offer her again, would I? Did she reject you angrily? Oh, no. That's not Gladiah. Very kindly. Has it made you offer yourself to anyone else? What? Well, Gladiah has rejected you. One way of responding would be to offer yourself to someone else. Why not? If Gladiah doesn't want you... No! I don't want anyone else! Why is that, do you suppose? And, strenuously, Gramianus said, How should I know why that is? I want Gladiah. It's a... It's a kind of madness, except that I think it's the best kind of insanity. I'd be mad not to have that kind of madness. I don't expect you to understand. Have you tried to explain this to Gladiah? She might understand. Never. I'd distress her. I'd embarrass her. You don't talk about such things. I should see a mentologist. Have you? No. Why not? Gramianus frowned. You have a way of asking the rudest questions, Earthman. Perhaps because I'm an Earthman. I know no better. But I'm also an investigator, and I must know these things. Why have you not seen a mentologist? Surprisingly, Gramianus laughed. I told you. The cure would be greater madness than the disease. I would rather be with Glodaya and be rejected than be with anyone else and be accepted. Imagine having your mind out of whack and wanting it to stay out of whack. Any mentologist would put me in for major treatment. Bailey thought a while, then said, Do you know whether Dr. Vasilia is a mentologist in any way? She's a roboticist. They say that's the closest thing to it. If you know how a robot works, you've got a hint as to how a human brain works, or so they say. Does it occur to you that Vasilia knows the strange feelings you have in connection with Glodaya? Gramianus stiffened. I've never told her. I mean, in so many words. Isn't it possible that she understands your feelings without having to ask? Is she aware that you have repeatedly offered yourself to Glodaya? Well, she would ask how I was getting along. In the way of long-standing acquaintanceship, you know. I would say certain things. Nothing intimate. Are you sure that it was never anything intimate? Surely she encouraged you to continue to offer. You know, now that you mention it, I seem to see it all in a new way. I don't see quite how you managed to put it into my head. It's the questions you ask, I suppose, but it seems to me now that she did continue to encourage my friendship with Glodaya. She actively supported it. He looked very uneasy. This never occurred to me before. I never really thought about it. Why do you think she encouraged you to make repeated offers to Glodaya? Gramianus twitched his eyebrows ruefully, and his finger went to his mustache. I suppose some might guess she was trying to get rid of me, trying to make sure I wouldn't want to bother her. He made a small laughing sound. That's not very complimentary to me, is it? Did Dr. Vasilia cease being friendly with you? Not at all. She was more friendly, if anything. Did she try to tell you how to be more successful with Glodaya? To show a greater interest in Glodaya's work, for example? Well, she didn't have to do that. Glodaya's work and mine are very similar. 
I work with human beings and she with robots, but we're both designers, artists. That does make for closeness, you know. We even help each other at times. When I'm not offering and being rejected, we're good friends. Well, that's a lot when you come to think of it. Did Dr. Facilia suggest you show a greater interest in Dr. Fastolf's work? Why should she suggest that? I don't know anything about Dr. Fastolf's work. Glodaya might be interested in her benefactor's work, and it might be a way for you to ingratiate yourself with her, 